Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 329 of Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shh. We're not going to swear because I don't know if our guest today swears. So we're just going to Oh, yeah, into it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to that guest I mentioned, Jill Kolingowski is on the show today. Welcome, Jill. Thank you. Nailed it with my name. Very good. Yes, thank you for practicing with me first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to make you retell that story that you just told me about your last name because I think it's really cool and it'll give people an idea of what we're going to talk about here today, which is Harry Potter because you wrote an amazing book that I love and I'm going to insist that every Harry Potter fan read this summer. That's my new goal. Um, But the, (laughs) The book is Life Lessons... Harry Potter taught me discovering the magic of friendship, family, courage, and love in your life. And before we were talking, we were discussing your last name, and I just thought that was just an interesting little tidbit. So do you mind sharing that with with the listeners? Sure. Uh, Well, thanks for the kind words about my book. That means a lot to me. And I think, you know, Harry Potter fans, we all have this, like, shared love together. So it's really nice to um, share that with others. But, yeah, my last name is Kolingowski. Um, and my husband's name, I got married last year, is Roman, and so a lot of people said I should take his name because then I would be J.K. Roman. <laughs> uh, it was very, it was very tempting, but I, I like my name, so I decided to stay with it. So, yeah. um, but it's a joke. It's a joke I like to tell. It's a good one. It's a good one. But also, my answer to, to that was, you're an excellent writer, and you deserve oh, to you. have your own last name. So, um, which is a nice surprise. I was so kind of bummed out that the WW book club, that hashtag, the Wizarding World book club was ending. Yeah. And I was just so eager to keep it going that when I saw that you had written this book, I clicked on it. I had no idea. Like if it was, I guess my original thought was this is probably just a fan and it's probably Mm -hmm. not going to be well written. But I don't even care. That's how much I love Harry Potter. <laughs> and then when I'm You're reading... people, yes. Yeah, I'm like, I will read bad writing just to mm-hmm. keep, keep the magic alive. But mm-hmm. it's excellent. I was Thank you. really pleasantly surprised. And uh, so that's why I, I'm having you on the show, and I'm so happy you accepted my invitation. Yeah, I'm so glad. I mean, you know, I have a background as a, a writer, you know, so this is my, my bread and butter in this book. Uh, I was commissioned to write the book, and so it's not something I've been working on for many years, even though I've been working on, you know, my love for Harry Potter since I was 12 years old. So I like to think I've been prepping for the book, you know, my like half my life, but um, more than half my life. And so, yeah, that means a lot to me because, you know, I am a, a writer as much as I am a Harry Potter fan. So I, I wanted this not to feel, you know, like a BuzzFeed listicle, you know, as much as we want it to be fun and accessible, 
But, you know, some of the themes are pretty heavy because Harry Potter is, frankly, pretty heavy. And the more I looked at it, the heavier it felt. But some of the themes are pretty, um, not even heavy, but serious. You know, it deals with loss and grief and prejudice and some of these kind of bigger themes. And so I wanted the writing to treat those themes seriously because I think it, it deserves it. And I think the people who really love Harry Potter deserve kind of a serious treatment of it, you know, so... I, um, that was one of the challenges was wanting I wanted the book to still be fun and people to feel joy reading it, but also tackle these things with kind of, you know, intellectual rigor and with, um, yeah, with with as much kind of essayistic force as I could. Mm-hmm. Muster. Well, you're a literary professor, too, correct? I am. Yeah, I teach I teach at a community college. So I teach writing, literature, um, creative writing, all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. Well, um, what you just said about wanting to treat the material like have it be fun and but give it the respect it deserves mm-hmm. I really feel that's part of what made the Harry Potter such a phenomenon is that J.K. Rowling respected kids and she respected their ability mm-hmm. to understand some of these darker concepts because they live it it's their life like she wasn't mm-hmm. condescending to them and I feel like that's what makes it such a special series part of one of the many things that makes it so special. Yeah. I think that's why so many kids fell in love with it. And there's lots of stories, similar stories of like kids kind of rising to the occasion where adults fail. But I think something about, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about why this is, is special in that particular way. And I do think number one, the kids do rise up and succeed when the adults fail, you know, and I think kids, like to see that because they feel they can do that and yet we don't trust kids and to me that's one of the biggest lessons in this series is that you know we need to believe um believe kids and we need to trust kids and young people and you know I think a lot about the the kids in Parkland Texas after the school shooting there and you know people are like oh they're just kids how much activism can they do how much good can they do and and you know I teach college students and I know exactly how much good you know, young people can do because they are smart and they are capable. And I think the books really recognize that. And I think that's why people love them so much because everyone has been, you know, Harry when he's like 12 years old and, or even a little older when he's 15 and he knows something and he knows he's right. And no one believes him because he's 15 year old. Like Dumbledore says, you know, the word of a 15 year old wizard won't convince anybody, you know, which is so unfortunate. Um, so I think, yeah, I totally agree with you that mm-hmm. part of that's why we love them is that the kids, the kids get to win and it's not necessarily because the adults let them. It's because JK Rowling allowed them to. Yeah. It, it speaks to the inner child too, because I didn't read the, mm-hmm. I did not finish the complete series until the book club because, and I'm 44, wow. I'm 44. So what happened is um, my son has autism, and I'm a big book nerd, and I really tried to push Harry Potter on him. Like, I was so excited <laughs> about it, and I wanted to experience that together with him. But his comprehension was just not there, so we kind of kept starting and stopping the first book over and over again. And it went by, this went on for years. <laughs> we got, I think, all the way up to the third book, but not through it. Like, we had to keep starting at the beginning. And I finally kind of just got fed up. I was like, you know what? that's fine. This is where we're at. We're going to have a movie marathon and then we're going to go to the wizarding world. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it was the 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, and that all this special 
stuff was going to happen. It just coincidentally coincided with my whole, like, we're going full Harry Potter right now, even if we can't get through all these (laughs) books together. And uh, so I read along with the book club and got to experience it alone by myself without trying, trying to help my son understand. So this last year was very special. I went full Potterhead nerd, like as nerdy as you can be about it. And that's interesting because I think I find there's like a gap, like people like I'm 31. So I read the first one when I was 12, just a year older than Harry. And so I think our generation in particular has kind of a special relationship to it because, you know, we had to wait. You know, we we had to wait years sometimes in between the books coming out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then and then, you know, I did an event here in California a couple months ago and the audience was mostly kind of an elderly crowd and they came in, I thought, oh no, they don't know what this is. They don't, but most of them had read Harry Potter or were familiar with it. But I find like my parents' generation, you know, my mom is in her late fifties and my dad early sixties. I find like they haven't read it. So it's interesting to see where that gap is and why, you know, like my generation, you know, people are starting to have children, so they want to read it to their children. So there's a whole you know, when I was doing my book tour, there's a whole new generation of kids who are falling in love with it. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting where you came to the series or when you came to the series and what, how that changes your relationship. To you know, it. I have, I will say for sure, I know for a fact that a lot of people that listen to this show are in that age range that you mentioned <laughs> and that they love Harry Potter. And I think it's because they read it to their kids. Yeah, that's true. We, you know, my my beautiful mom went through a phase where, you know, Harry Potter was a witchcraft, so it was evil, which I think was kind of a, you know, a a kind of Christian blowback to it. Um, But of course, you know, that's silly panic. Um, But I think, you know, she's since come around um, and seeing how important it was. And Nothing about it is evil, you know, and if anything, you could argue that the book is a Christian analogy. Like, Harry is literally a Christ-like figure. If you wanted to read it that way, I think you could. I think so people I, have. I've seen stuff yeah. like that online. Mm-hmm. There's, there, you know, there are Harry Potter scholars. There are people who have studied it like a scholarly text, and that's one of the readings. You could read it as a Christian analogy. You know, he rises from the dead. Um, you, could re- you could read it um, as a Nazi analogy. You know, a lot of people say it's a pretty one-to-one kind of analogy for Nazi Germany as well. I definitely see that. Yes. Yeah, well, we're seeing echoes of that in our society right now. That is Mm -hmm. something I truly never thought. I remember being a child and being captivated by the whole terrified, I mean, captivated in a terrified way about Mm -hmm. what happened to Jews in Nazi Germany. And it, it really captured my imagination, though. And I spent way too much time thinking about it and just the terror Mm -hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And especially like Anne Frank and and I just thought a lot about about hiding up in the attic and stuff. But I truly never had an inkling that we would be talking about that. I know. In a way, in like in a preventative way, like people are worried that 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 could happen. So when we were reading with the book club, which was an entire year for people who don't know, we met on Twitter around mm-hmm. the WW book club hashtag. It was. I saw those parallels because that was the conversation that was happening at the time. So it was easy to see the parallels as I was reading through the book. Yeah, it's been funny kind of reading them as a child and then reading them as an adult. I think there was something like I the first Harry Potter book remains one of my favorites because it's so sweet and he's discovering everything for the first time. 
And that magic is just so wonderful. Um, yeah. And I think as an adult, you know, you see things that weren't as visible to you when you were a kid, you know, like now that I'm a teacher, you know, I spent a lot of time focusing on the teachers and how often I think they fail their students in the series or how often the adults are trying to protect the students. But the kid, you know, when they're 12, they're like, uh, Snape's being so annoying when really he's trying to protect Harry, you know? And so it's been interesting to kind of read it um, through the lens of an adult and think about that, you know, even reading it as kind of a literature professor is a little bit new for me. Um, You know, I've always just read it as a fan and as someone who loves Harry Potter. So really kind of critiquing the text has been a really interesting journey and kind of finding those more adult themes and parallels. I did an event with um, Vanessa Zoltan uh, and she's one of the hosts of the wonderful Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast, which if anyone hasn't listened to that, you should go right now. Um, she and her her co-host, Casper, they read Harry Potter chapter by chapter, and they kind of analyze it according to a theme. And they are both, uh, like, they both, I think I might, I'm sorry, Vanessa, if I get it wrong, but they both, I think, went through, like, religious training and now are either atheists or, like, secular humanists. So they have all this kind of religious training um, so they basically read Harry Potter as if it's a Bible and or as if it's a sacred text of any religion and analyze it. So it's kind of it's more just like a the best literature class you've ever oh my been God, in. I'm so um, excited to check that out. So wonderful. But so I did an event with her in Boston. She was so I was such a fan of hers and she agreed to come and do an event with me, which is just like a dream come true. And she noticed I had a tattoo that says all was well, which is, you know, the last sentence of the uh, series. And. She she was she asked me, she said, why do you have that tattoo? And she and I both love the epilogue of the series, but for different reasons, actually almost the opposite reason. And I was like, it's kind I said, for me, it's this moment of peace and everything is OK. And for her, she said, I actually see it as everything is not OK. Right. She said they go to the platform nine and three quarters and these same old animosities between like Harry, <clears throat> excuse me. excuse me, the old animosities between Harry Potter and Malfoy are like still there. So she saw, I promise I'm circling back around. So she saw this connection kind of to our world now where she saw, she kind of saw the ending as just like a pause in the war, not necessarily the war is over and everything is fine. Just that this is a brief moment. And so I thought that was really interesting in terms of thinking about how these themes come back around again, you know, the idea, um, you know, totalitarian power or, you know, how it stays relevant is, is pretty shocking and disheartening, unfortunately. But yeah, it's amazing how the book feels still relevant. I spend a lot of time thinking about why. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons is, you know, evil like that continues to come up, unfortunately, and hopefully it continues to be kicked back just as many times. Oh, yes. Yes. I, I do <laughs> believe love wins. I, it's, <laughs> it's just... It feels ridiculous how often we have to we have to play that card. It's like really again. Come on now, come on now, people. Mm-hmm. I will say too, what makes your book so dang special is getting to see it through the eyes of another person, which I did get to do a little bit through the book club. I, I think mm-hmm. that was the magic of the book club. Is like, I mean, how many people do you think were in that club? Oh my god. And it got, it just got more and more. I'm gonna look right now. I have uh, no idea. I mean, it must have been thousands. Yes. 
Oh, at thousand. I mean, the the their account alone has seventy six thousand followers. Um, it felt it like it felt like, it felt like it. Yeah, I mean, it was just getting to see it through all these. Di- I remember one discussion that really hung with me was about mm-hmm. motherhood and whether or not. Uh, Narcissa and Petunia oh, I remember are this. good mothers, and I was all over that. I was having conversations with people, and I was a decidedly no person. They are not good mothers because look at what they've produced. Right, and then reading about the yes people, like no, they are good mothers. It, it really blew my mind wide open. Just being like, wow, that's totally legit. I think I'm going to stay in the no camp, but I completely <laughs> see why somebody else would see it from a different perspective. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I hope, you know, I hope people read my book and feel free to like disagree with me. I think <clears throat> I was very aware when I was writing it, I didn't want to like say like this is the definitive interpretation of X, Y, or Z because I think you could read the same scene two different ways, you know, and I didn't want to feel like I was saying I am the expert and because I'm not, you know, I'm just someone who loves Harry Potter but I wanted to feel like, and I wanted to provide evidence for why I felt certain ways. Like, um, but for the most part, I, I, I love the idea of my book kind of opening a conversation and I hope people feel, you know, could read it and say, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't quite think of it that way. You know, I have a chapter on fate and free will, um, that came out of a, an essay I wrote in a Harry Potter class I took in graduate school, which was the most fun. Um, And I remember when I was writing that essay, I kept tangling myself in circles about fate versus free will. So I think to some extent there, there is no right answer necessarily, but it's amazing how much it can be interpreted in, in many different ways. You could read, two people could read the same scene and and think about it in multiple ways. You know, originally the book title was Life Lessons Harry Potter Taught Us. That's what the publisher wanted. And I fought, I fought against it and we changed it to Life Lessons Harry Potter Taught Me. Because I said, I, I don't want to speak for everyone. And I hope people can read it and identify with me. I mean, that's, to me, the whole goal of writing is to connect with others. But I also didn't want to speak for everyone. So to say Life Lessons Harry Potter taught us, I was like, it didn't feel as genuine to me. I wanted to say it taught, here are the things it taught me. I'm hoping a lot of these ideas resonate with others. But other people may feel very differently. And I think that's okay as well. I, so I, de- space I definitely want to talk about the autobiographical pe- yes. pieces of the book, but uh, and I will circle back around to that because I think it's a really important part of the book uh, or special. I mean, can you say important? I don't know. It was to me. It was to me. <laughs> I felt like I was getting to know you and I related to you. I never had the feeling. I never got the lessons we were taught. It felt like, oh, this is her perspective, but it's such a great perspective. But you said something just now that reminded me. I cut and pasted this. I figured this was a self-published book. So Mm. when when I was just looking at the, what is that opening where the title pages and it has like who the publisher is and stuff, I Googled. Oh, the copyright page? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I Googled (laughs) Ulysses Press and I'm going to read what I cut and pasted because I love, I love books. I'm a huge book nerd and I I really just want to like take a second to shine a flashlight on this company because I think they're, I think they're, they look really cool. They said, um, Ulysses Press focuses on highly targeted niche groups that aren't being offered 
the books they want by the big corporate-owned New York houses. As pop culture changes at the speed of the internet, books have a powerful role to play in the interconnected world, but no new media has ever eliminated an existing media form. They force change, and with change comes opportunity. That is why our printed books work hand-in-hand with ebooks and online versions of their content. So just a little plug for them, but also... I feel very grateful that they gave us you, Jill, because um, how cool that they're focusing, like, really specifically. Yeah, I mean, they, so the, the story of how this book happened is very unusual. So normally, when you know, when you write, you submit a manuscript to agents or presses or whatever, and they say yes or no. But in this case, you know, they do things unusually where they come up with the ideas because they see it as like a lack of like you just read, they see it as like a lack in the market. So if you search the internet, do you know how many like life lessons, Harry Potter, some once a week, someone sends me some article, someone's written that it's very similar. And so they said, there's an opportunity for someone to write a book about things Harry Potter taught us. So they actually generated the idea and then um, ended up finding me to write the book through this very long twisty set of circumstances. So um yeah, so I feel very lucky. They found you know, the feel, right writer. Thank you. I feel very lucky to have done it. You know, I, I remember um, when I was working on it and when I wasn't sure whether I was going to get the book deal or not because I knew they were talking to other writers. And I was, you know, they, they told us their pitch and the kind of writer they were looking for. And I remember I was reading it to my mom and she said, it feels like you've been waiting your whole life to write this book, which was so cute. Um and, I, and it kind of felt like I had, you know, because I love Harry Potter for so long. It's like my oldest friend is is these books. So yeah, uh, I felt were, that. I felt that reading it. Yeah, and they, you know, the press was wonderful. My editors at the press, uh, Bridget and Shana, were fantastic. The publicist Molly is fantastic. So I've had nothing but terrific experiences with them. So they were wonderful, wonderful to work with. Mm. Let I want to tell people how the book is laid out because it's so fun. Uh, each chapter is really titled with a spell. Like you, you use spells as the jumping off point for a lot of exploration uh, that goes, it's not, it's not a chapter about the spell, like how the spell works per se, although you do include that, but it's really, it usually begins with some autobiographical memory that ties into each chapter. And I really enjoyed that. And you and you examine it through you know di- in different ways and it's, it's mm-hmm. so fun. Thank you. Yeah, that was this was my original brainchild when that was one of when I was pitching kind of myself to write this book. One of my I had I thought about different ways to organize this and this was the very first one that came to me was using spells metaphorically because um, unfortunately you know for those of us who are not witches and wizards or just muggles um, we. You know, this is the way we can access the text is thinking about the this the spells as kind of metaphors, you know, so I thought about it as almost as if we're using the spells, you know, so the first chapter is Lumos, which is about discovery and wonder and kind of avoiding cynicism. So there's this idea of like light as curiosity. So there's it's the spells are meant to be metaphorical. Um, And yeah, and so that was my my first that was my first thought. And it was kind of like first thought, best thought I had the idea of kind of going on a character basis or maybe moving through the castle like spatially like going through um or just the harry potter world and thinking about locations but this one just seemed the most organic and and i'm really happy with how 
the spells could work on that metaphorical level. Yeah, definitely. And you, you mentioned what I love about the Lumos. Is it Lumos? Lumos. Am I saying that right? Lumos? I think it's, I think it's Lu, Lumos. Lumos. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I really loved, this is the thing, what you just said about working metaphorically, that's mm. what a lot of the witchy people here do magically. We're working with metaphors. I, I usually frame it as psycho-spiritual magic. So we're, a metaphor plays in a lot to what we're doing here. And I really loved the way you wrote about wonder and joy, because I know you mentioned um, in your personal life, you are not new agey, much less witchy, but that is precisely what so many of us are after when we pursue magic as adults. We want to recapture that wonder and joy of discovery in our own lives beyond fiction. So that's why so many Harry Potter fans are listening right now, because um, Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, this is interesting, going back to the Christian thing, uh, you know, the message at the time for Christians was that this is a gateway to witchcraft. Right. And J.K. Rowling vehemently, she defended that. But I have to say, I know for sure from doing the podcast that there was some truth to that because a lot of people grew up with Harry Potter and then it, it interested them in like, well, what is magic? And they they started getting into it. So as much as J.K. Rowling would hate me to say that, I actually know for a fact I've received so much email about like, actually, that's what got me interested in magic. So, that's so wild. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, and I guess my question would be, why is that a bad thing? You know, and I think, you know, people can make their own magic. For me, my magic is, you know, in in books. And, you know, I have I have friends who do, um, you know, tarot. And I think you could read that as a form of magic. And so I think, you know, is that such a bad thing to want to create magic for yourself? You know, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. it's not, you know, and the book is very clearly on the side of, good magic you know not dark magic but I just think the idea of like you know there's only one in Goblet of Fire is pretty much the only really dark magic we see when Voldemort's resurrected um and there's the Horcruxes as well but I don't know the the book comes down on such light magic I think and and so I think I guess my question would be what's so bad about that Mm -hmm. you know I think writers are, are magicians anyway have you read Stephen King's book on writing Yes, it's fabulous. So anyone... he insists writing is magic. And yes. and it's a form of telekinesis. That part of the book, I just, I love that whole book, by the way. But yeah. I, that part in particular, I'm like, see? I, he, <laughs> yeah, he, he's amazing. If anyone is interested in starting writing, I think that book is wonderful. It's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. I don't even agree with everything in it because I'm, no. I'm such a structure nut. Um, mm. I feel like he has an innate sense of structure. And he doesn't even realize how much that's, like, baked into his books because he's just naturally gifted that way. And I think some of us have to learn structure on purpose. And, right. um And that structure reveals character. And I don't want to turn this into a writing podcast, but um, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like, I love someone, just like we were saying about getting someone else's perspective on Harry Potter, it's exciting to read a writer of that caliber to read about their process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I love it. Yeah. So the autobiographical pieces of your mm-hmm. book, which are, it's not heavily done. It's it's relevant to whatever topic you're exploring. And it's just, I, I think you really hit the sweet spot with, with that. Uh, you know, I felt for you when you moved to California and you, <laughs> and you cried. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I loved when you talked about your dad Mm -hmm. setting up your toys like they had a life of their own because my own dad used to, who does not believe in magic at all, Mm -hmm. I was afraid of my closet growing up. It couldn't be open like even a crack or I just felt like someone was in there staring at me and I couldn't go to sleep. So we had this ritual where he would come in and take my little Bank of America bear that I had and he would say abracadabra poof and he would do this little thing on his belly and I was perfectly safe and I could go to bed. But he has oh. he had to do that. And when I was I would love if you could share the toy thing about your dad because sure. I thought that was so sweet. Yeah, that comes from, that is in the the Lumos chapter, um, which is the very first chapter. And so, yeah, and my father is very much like uh, kind of meat and potatoes dude. You know, he loves to work outside. He reads maybe one book a year. You know, he's not really a kind of, you know, I wouldn't say he's not playful, but, you know, you wouldn't think he would be someone to do this. But, you know, he, as a way to get us to kind of put away our toys, you know, if my sister and I had left our toys kind of, you know, strewn everywhere, he would um, set them up in these little, like, scenes. So they would be having a tea, the bear, the teddy bears would be having a tea party, or our horses would be up on the table with, like, some carrots, you know, he would set these little scenes up, and, and we knew that was a signal to put our toys away, but... um on the other hand, when I was young, you know, there was this little, I knew it was him, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like he was trying to be secret necessarily, but, you know, he had to work early in the morning, so he would always be gone by the time we woke up, and so there was always this little part of me, I was like, but did he do it? You know, was it, the, <laughs> was it the animal? Did they do it themselves? You know, I still wanted to believe that they maybe could move, and they would move just when we weren't looking, and so he in a real sense, kind of created this magic for us. And it was really special um, and and really wonderful. And it wasn't in a way that we felt we were being betrayed if we knew it was him, you know. And it just created this sense of wonder and joy. And particularly, you know, my dad worked a lot, so he wasn't home as much, but it was kind of like a, a nice calling card from him. Um, I got to actually, re- I read this essay uh, I went to visit Michigan State where I went to school. They had me as a visiting writer. And so my dad came to the reading, so I got to read this chapter for him. And that oh, was my really- God. How did you do that? I would cry. Yeah. I, would cry. <laughs> I was too nervous. I'm, uh, I've practiced reading this quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I was really, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at, at reading through it. But, um, yeah, he, you know, so that chapter ends on the idea of creating our own magic instead of, you know, this idea of waiting for something to happen to you, you know, in a chapter about discovery and childlike wonder, to some extent, I think you have to create that for yourself. You know, it is an active process in Mm -hmm. finding and creating magic and whatever form that takes. Yeah. You wrote Harry's journey has allowed us to believe in magic, not just the magic of flying brooms, unicorns, and people being turned into ferrets or teapots into tortoises, but also the magic we can find in new discoveries and friendship in good people working to make the world better and in ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think you'd get the nod from, from Joe Rowling on that one. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. Oh, I hope she reads her book. <laughs> yeah, that would be wonderful. Um, although I, she might be mad. I, I spent a lot of time criticizing the way house elves are written, but that's okay. She, she's probably aware of that. Um, but yeah, I think, it's, you know, in terms of the, my own personal experience, the autobiographical, 
you know, I'm a personal essayist by trade. That's, that's the kind of writing that I do. Um, so I could not, when I was first writing this, you know, we were very clear, this is not a memoir, right? The other writing, if you look on my website, the other writing I do is pretty personal. It's a lot more of that. Um, so I didn't know how else to go, go about it. When I was sitting down to write the chapters, I had these themes, you know, I started by rereading the books and just amassing this huge number, this huge volume of quotes from the books that I felt were significant and kind of arranging them into themes. And then when I would sit down to write, I'd say, how do I start? And I didn't know how else to do it besides kind of telling a personal story because this is about my connection to it. And it felt, it didn't feel as natural to say we all do this. Cause I don't even think that's true. And I, like I said, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I tried to pick an experience that maybe hopefully would be representative. Like you said, you felt a connection to something your father did. So that was my goal. I tried to find experiences that would be, if not relatable, at least interesting. You know, a lot of people like, like the story about my grandmother stealing things. <laughs> a lot of people are like, my grandma didn't steal things, but you know, she is a character on the page. Um, yes, I wrote that down. I said, we, yes. al- I, we also learned that you have a scandalous past as a, yes. thief, a thief and a liar. And a, and yes. In a really endearing, sweet way. Yeah, and I think I just didn't know didn't know how else to do it. And I think for me, Harry Potter was so and still is so intensely personal that that felt like such a natural entry point. And I didn't know how else to do it. In some chapters, I had trouble with anecdotes, and I I kept having ones that didn't quite fit. So some of them I'd use real world examples, um, particularly with some of the heavier stuff like prejudice. Um, so sometime, or even friendship, I had a hard time writing about friendship. It's such a big thing. And writing like a typical story about friendship was very hard for me. So that then became the story was how hard it was to actually write something that encapsulated how I felt about friendship. So that becomes the story itself. So yeah, that's just the way Harry Potter is personal. You know, people, people have a personal relationship with the characters, with the books. So to me, that felt natural. And, you know, when we were editing it, you know, I sometimes write these long stories and my editor would say, okay, if you've gone on for three pages and you haven't mentioned Harry yet, you need to cut the story. (laughs) So um, we tried to make sure that the spell and Harry comes in very early so that right away I'm showing what I felt naturally was my, you know, my life as, as related to the series. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's an awesome life lesson for all creative people too, is that's what makes you special. I checked out some of the other pieces that you have on your website. You have a tab called publications and that had to be why they reached out to you as a potential writer for this book. Like they wanted you. And so you gave them you like, that's how, that's, that's how you write. That's how you process. That's how you share. And that's what makes you to me, the right writer for this book. Thank you. Yeah. And that was a struggle I had early on. Cause I was like, do they want a very poppy kind of fun thing? And then, you know, my husband was like, you know, they picked you for a reason. They want you to write the way you write, you know? And so I had to, I had to remind myself of that. And I said, well, this is how I write. You know, I sent a draft very early to make sure they were okay with that. And we spent, you know, some chapters had multiple personal stories and we chose which one was working the best. Um, and some I fought like that particular chapter with my grandmother, Um, That's the chapter about good and evil. And so that chapter actually starts with three or four personal stories or two or three, because I had this idea of I wanted to kind of show escalating, quote unquote, evil within myself or within my own life and how we see evil as on a hierarchy. You know, like my grandmother stealing spices from the big boy table 
most of us probably wouldn't call that evil. No. No. Um, but it's stealing. Someone who, who had a really strong sense of ethics might say, yeah, that's still stealing. Um, and then I talk about, you know, one time getting into a kind of physical altercation with my sister and how that felt very evil on my part. And so the editor had said, these are too many stories, but I fought for keeping them all them all in because I felt like talking about, and I really wanted to, to, through my own life, demonstrate that how evil can can escalate and so we try to cut them back as much as possible but they were they were really great in kind of honoring the way I wanted to write about these books and Harry Potter you know people feel so emotionally connected to it so I wanted it to feel personal you know I don't think anyone and I think most people aren't casual readers of Harry Potter I think that there aren't people who are like yeah that's good bye I I just I I have a hard time (laughs) understanding readers who don't feel an intense personal connection to it I think that's rare I think most people do Mm -hmm. well to me that's the magic of books is it's it's Mm -hmm. such a unique art form because every book is a completely different book for every reader that Mm -hmm. that's so special and you you could definitely say that's true of music and movies but there's something about a book where it's collaborative between the writer and the reader and then it becomes it's I mean in the case of Harry Potter it's like a million different universes based on the same book you know what I mean yeah definitely I think yeah it's, it's kind of amazing how much the the Harry Potter series can be personalized to so many different experiences. And I do think she has some issues in terms of, particularly in terms of racial diversity and I think maybe class as well. But at the same time, I think there are so many threads you can pull from, you know, one chapter that didn't make it into the book, I couldn't quite make it fit, but was about Ron, um, Ron being kind of poor and how that's kind of a thread through the series and how he feels less than, because of that. And I would not say I grew up poor, but you know, I definitely grew up in a wealthy area and I knew I was one of the the less wealthy people in where I grew up. And so I really latched on to that part of Ron's story versus other people, you know, if they didn't have that experience, they wouldn't. And so I think JK Rowling is such a character writing genius. I think there there are so many characters and threads that every person is gonna pull what's important to them yeah. from this, you know. I think it's really powerful that there's a movement right now to get more people of color writing books because I mm-hmm. think, yes, I mean, I think we all should have more diverse books in us. Uh, I know Brandon Sanderson talks about that, about, you know, men, like, learn what feminism is and learn how to write your women from this perspective, you know, so they're not just objects, like, that you move mm-hmm. around like chess pieces. But also I think J.K. Rowling is a white woman. And right. so now we have all I've you know I've been reading quite a few uh, books from people of color because we need their perspective. It's what made Wakanda such a big big deal. Is a white mm-hmm. person didn't write that to be inclusive of black people. Do you know what I right. mean? Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, totally, <clears throat> I totally agree with that. And I think actually one one of the things that is great about Harry Potter is that it's been such you know I hear this from so many people. It's been kind of a gateway drug to reading, and I think. It's been such an accessible text where um, hopefully then it can open the doors for people to have, you know, read a little bit more broadly, read something that is not just by a white woman writing about mostly white people, you know, so of a certain background. Like you assume most of these students are pretty wealthy, maybe with the exception of Ron, but, you know, they're going to like an elite boarding school, essentially, you know, so um, there aren't really 
people of kind of disadvantaged backgrounds, not really in the series, hardly at all, mm. um, except for Ron. But yeah, I think, I think that's so important. And I've, I've also been doing a lot of work in my own reading and in my own teaching to make sure that I am teaching things that are not just what it has been historically like white male straight canon. And I think, you know, we're all better for it and for, you know, learning more than just our own experience, I think is crucial to any kind of progress. Yep. Broadening your perspective. And I mean, it's kind of, it's more on a macro level of what we were saying about the the book club is like seeing everybody else's different take on Harry Potter or, or reading your book. Also reading, if, if you are like super white and you grew up in a super white neighborhood, like I did, it, mm-hmm. like you should be reading other people's experience. What's it like to grow up Muslim in America? Like, what mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. behind behind just beyond just seeing a little like quip on Twitter or a, like a little piece on the news like to see see life through their eyes and this is partly why I'm such a big book nerd is is yeah. that gives us the opportunity to to step into someone's shoes a little bit yeah i have i've actually had which has been so interesting i had a couple people through the book club i've met people who've read my book and that is just such a joy i had someone from india read my book. He's like, are you going to stream your book events? And, you know, I'm like a small <laughs> indie writer. I'm like, no, I don't think there's going to be a live stream of my book event. And the fact that he loved Harry Potter so much was in India, you know, someone who grew up in a very different experience from where I grew up in, you know, a small town in the Midwest, someone who grew up in a big city in India, um, or someone from uh, France too reached out to me. And so that has been really interesting to see, how people from very different backgrounds all um, really love Harry Potter, even though, even though it does have its, its issues for sure. And so that has been really fascinating to see the reach of Harry Potter and how many people from different um, parts of life love it. It's really wonderful. Yeah. I think something you say really early in the book um, is involved in that and in, in explaining that you say the lessons that appear again and again are about the friendships and loves that can save your life and we all need that that's that's a universal need and craving that we all have and I when you put that at the beginning of the book I thought oh well that just sets everything up so nicely like what we're oh, what you. we're about to what we're about to inspect here together yeah and I mean to me that's one of the great joys of the book is that, yeah, you know, there are couples that get together, but to me, and you know, I put loves in there, but I think the, the loves in the series, you know, I, I say in the book, the greatest romance in the book is um, the friendship between the trio. To me, that's the, the greatest love story is, is a platonic one between Harry, Ron and Hermione. Um, and, Hag- you know, the, Hagrid, don't forget Hagrid, please. Oh, sweet Hagrid. Um, yeah, I write about him particularly in the kindness chapter. I think he's one of the kindest characters in the whole series, just never stops being kind. Um, yeah, and I think the idea of, you know, love of community or love of family, um, I like the idea that romantic love in the series does kind of take a backseat to these to these other loves as well. And I think that opens doors to more readers because so many books are just about kind of a you know, boy meets girl or, you know, boy meets boy, you know, which is a very important relationship for sure. 
But I think we all have these other loves in our lives as well. And I think that is one of the ways people kind of get entry to these books is that there are these other really important loves that need nurturing and that we can learn from as well. Yeah, there's so many love relationships, I think, in the book that are are platonic love relationships. Totally. Yeah, teacher and student, you know, mentor, mentee. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite chapter or a favorite spell? Of my own book? Mm, yeah. Oh, God, I have to look at the table of contents. Um, <laughs> I mean, I really love the Hermione chapter. That was one of the easier chapters to write because like Hermione is my queen. I adore her. And the more I read the books, um, the I just love her more because one of the things I did, I, you know, I've reread the books a hundred times. And one of the things I did when I was rereading them for writing this book, for writing my book was keeping track of how often Hermione is right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I she would track. love that, Jill. She would love that. <laughs> thing to do right um but she yeah it's keeping track of how often she is right and how often she isn't believed um and particularly in the you know in this me too kind of movement the idea of how infrequently women are believed and everyone's like oh Hermione you're just being bossy oh shut up oh blah 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 and so kind of reading it and seeing how often she is right and how often she is silenced or not believed um just, I just love her so much and how much we can learn from that and how much she is just like unwavering and she is willing to do so much for the people she loves. You know, like she um, reports on the broomstick that Sirius sends Harry, even though he doesn't know it's from Sirius. So he just gets this broomstick. And so she's like, this might be trying to murder you. Let's go get it looked at. And you know, of course the boys are furious, furious about it because she's taken away the broomstick and she doesn't care. She doesn't care that they hate her. She keeping him safe is like more important to her yeah. than whether they hate her or not, which for me, I'm definitely a people pleaser. And so I really admire her for that, that her commitment to like love and safety is higher than like her own ego, which is pretty amazing. I've heard um, JK Rowling say a number of times that she is Hermione. And that's probably why Hermione has that depth. Um, mm-hmm. And I can see that in the way she does her tw- her Twitter feed. Uh, yes. She's not afraid <laughs> to mm-hmm. be polarizing because she's so committed to what she thinks is the right thing to do. And mm-hmm. she doesn't care if you're not going to be her fan anymore. And I really just love that um, Lumos is the name of her. I've learned all about orphans. I had no idea that that right. was a shady industry. And she's shed light on that. It's the perfect name for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she. I, I read somewhere that someone who was an admissions counselor for students who are going to college, they said the thing people mention most often in their cover letters is Hermione. By far, the highest like <laughs> reference to literary work is Hermione. Wow. Um, so I think she's such an influential character. So I really love that chapter. I also really like the last chapter. It's a little bit different of a format. Oh, I haven't gotten there yet. Don't give me a spoiler. Okay. I'm enjoying it too much. Okay, I won't. Um, it's just a chapter about bravery, so it's a little bit it's a little bit different than the other chapters. It's, so structurally, it was fun to write, but I won't I won't give it away. It's a little bit different, and I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, Luna Lovegood, who is another I think extremely oh. under underrated and amazing. I think she's one of the bravest characters in the series. Yeah. So 
I um, was Luna for Halloween last year uh, because I got this idea from a witch I interviewed that someone I really, really admire. She she sees Halloween as that we should dress as what we want to be or like a quality we want to invoke for the year ahead. And mm-hmm. so I will never see Halloween in the same way again. Like to me, it's an opportunity to just, it's kind of like a new year thing. You know, you're like, well, what, who, what, whose energy would I love to call in, you know, for the year mm-hmm. ahead? And it had to be Luna Lovegood this year. Awesome. And I really got into it. I made a little video of it, of me like getting ready. And it, I just loved it. Yeah, she, I think she's fabulous. So that's another favorite chapter. Um, are the, And those are the last two. They're probably the last two for a reason because I really like them. Um, yeah. What else? And again, too, I mean, it's like, Yes, okay, so the books are problematic for a lot of people, but also it's a white woman. I mean, it's very special that a woman created something. This The reason we call her J.K. Rowling is they didn't have faith that boys would read the books because it was exactly. written by a woman. So it's it's like, well, she's a human. She's a human person with her own limited perspective. Uh, but what she's done is pretty revolutionary in terms of just – we didn't even know that that boys would even read these books and look what happened. It is amazing to me to think about what she's done. I mean, I think she's literally changed language. Like, you know how even when I'm watching TV, I hear Harry Potter references everywhere. You know, even people who haven't read the series um like know the word muggle or yes. they know even if they don't know what it is, they know it's from Harry Potter and I think that to have that much influence over the culture as a whole is just, I don't know if it will ever be replicated, honestly, in our lifetime, maybe ever. Um, and I think something about having seven books and having to wait for them to come out and then the movies and everything else. And so I think, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what happens over time with the series, but I literally think she's changed. She changed the language that we use. Um, yeah. So I think that that is really revolutionary. So I spent a lot of time thinking about the women in the series. You know, the um, that podcast I was mentioning earlier, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Um, she every week uh, at the end of the episode they give a blessing to a character, um, and so Vanessa she makes sure to bless a female character every time. And what sometimes happens is some chapters go by and there are no women in the chapter, which is really interesting. Mm. So. So I spent a lot of time thinking about the women in the series. Like Trelawney is another woman who I think that was one thing I tracked in my fate and free will chapters that Trelawney is actually almost always right. Um, even though she looks like kind of a crackpot, you know, she, she isn't like a lot of her predictions, even the kind of silly ones end up coming true in some form or another. Like she, you know, she says to Harry, like you're in grave danger, you're going to die. Harry, literally dies you know so she's not wrong about that um and so i think but she's also seen as kind of like a goof and so i spent a lot of time in this book thinking about the way women are kind of portrayed um yeah and i think unfortunately it's true it's true to life you know in my in the hermione chapter i say you know at the end of the series harry's the one who gets all the credit even though i think hermione does a lot of the work and hermione is just someone's wife at the end of the series which Mm. is kind of which is kind of tragic but um, well, we do so intern. I, we internalize patriarchy. Like <laughs> we yes. internalize it, it becomes our worldview. Yep, it's a hell of a drug. It turns out internalized misogyny. But so I, a lot, I spent a lot of time when I was writing this book thinking about um, 
the role of women in this series. And I think the boys do appreciate Hermione. You know, they, you know, Ron's like, you're a godsend, blah, blah, blah. Or even Molly Weasley. She gets a lot of airtime in this book as well, particularly, um, you know, in book five, she's making sure they're all fed the order of the Phoenix. She's like the food behind the resistance. You know, they literally, I think would die without her. Do any of them know how to cook? It's not clear that they do. Oh my gosh. Jill, just talking about that. Like I, I love your book so much because you pointed out things that I didn't even notice. I'm definitely going to give my brain a rest to integrate the whole series before I pick it up again. Uh, I, I would love, I'm hoping to get to go see The Cursed Child in New York, so please don't tell me anything about it because I refuse <laughs> to read it. Um, but I will say you made me see things where I can't wait to get back to, to read it again. Like, I, I want to give it some space. Maybe I'll wait until yes. next summer. Um, but when, the way you talked about food, you you must be a literature professor because you pointed out <laughs> things where I was like, What? How did I miss that? I thought I was smart. There's there's one thing you wrote. Um, this is another thing. Where did I put this? Okay, so you say when Cedric dies, Harry sees his eyes as blank and expressionless as the windows of a deserted house. For Harry, Cedric becomes an empty house. This is because for Harry, the soul and the home are one and the same. Living most of his life without a home was a half-life, a non-life, a kind of spiritual death. That gave me chills. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I mean, I that, that's really nice of you. I think that's the biggest compliment someone could give me is that these books, and I hear that a lot, people say, your books made me want to go back and read the series. And so it was hard for me because, you know, I, I definitely wanted I wanted to do that kind of granular work. And that was one of the quotes that stuck out to me when I was reading the book, describing Cedric's eyes after he dies as, uh, you know, the windows of a deserted house, which, you know, props to JK Rowling is beautiful language. Um, but I can't help but analyze it on such a granular level. But I think when you're speeding through just for plot, it's easy to kind of miss details like that. So that was always a balancing act of trying to get that kind of very small, um, significance that I think is there on a kind of a line by line basis, but also put it in a larger context. I didn't want to get so tiny that we kind of lose the broader scope. Um, so that was always a challenge because I've read it so many times. I spent a lot of time getting like, you know, on a word by word level thinking of who says what and why. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, that makes me very happy. I'd love, I'd love for you to go back and do a reread. Mm-hmm. And then, we can chat about it. Yeah, it was passages like that one that really made me feel like, oh yeah, she's a literary professor. Like you get <laughs> you you got inside the book in a way that I don't I don't think most people do, but now we can because you've shared your experience and it makes me wonder too like how much was that intentional? Like did 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 Joe Rowling think about that or is that just you know, I know yeah. sometimes, like, I think spirit works in mysterious ways and the spirit of creativity. I feel like you can plot things out and then not even realize until you go back, like, holy smokes, that totally ties into that thing I said in that chapter. And there's a theme here that I didn't even know was emerging. Yeah, I'm not, you can't see me, but I'm nodding furiously. But, um, yeah, the, it's interesting. I think, you know, when I teach literature, we talk about, I try not to worry too much about authorial intent because I think once you write something, it belongs to the readers. And, you know, every now and then I'll have this experience with my own writing where people will read that and be like, Oh, that, that metaphor of the rain 
you know, mirrored the blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, what? It's something totally unintentional that I didn't, you know, and I'm pretty aware of that stuff, but I don't, I don't try to like plot like secret traps for my readers to find. That's not usually a goal. I'm just trying to render something as kind of truly and honestly as I can. Um, and so I don't, I wonder how much of that is intentional. I don't know. My guess is a lot of it is not. She just wanted to find the truest way to talk about someone who died and how their eyes look. And, you know, that's part of the joy of reading is that you get to, you know, take whatever meaning from it that you can and whatever is important to you. So I think, I don't know, I think it's really interesting to think about, but we won't ever have an answer to that un- unless Joe Rowling, if you want to go get coffee with me, I would love that. And oh, we- <laughs> I, hope she, I hope she does. I hope she does. <laughs> I want to say life lessons. Harry Potter taught me. Remember that title, go Google it, go to Amazon, and listen, everybody. It is 10 bucks and a little bit of change right now on Amazon, and I feel like we all need to work together to make this the book of summer 2018 because it is, I hope you get from this podcast, it's the perfect way to relive the magic of Harry Potter. Um, And then for those of us who were so sad to reach the end of the Wizarding World book club, it's a way to keep the magic alive a little bit longer and to see it through a new lens. So I wish we had our own hashtag. I don't know what that would be. If you have any ideas, Jill, I would love I would love your input on that. Should we have a hashtag and see how many people we can get talking about this book this summer? I don't know. The hashtag I used before was hashtag life lessons HP taught me was what I used before. Mm. it's tough because the title's so long it's long that's what my first thought i'm i'm a twitter nut i love twitter so let's see what could we do life lessons of hp would that make sense life lessons i the publisher also did hp life lessons oh let's do that one that one sounds good all right people get the damn book (laughs) go on twitter And use HP Life Lessons, which I will be checking periodically to see if you all can follow instructions because this is very, very important, important mission that we have together now. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, my my website is uh, jillkwrites.com. That was my Uh, next question, and I'm going to link there. But um, can you say that one more time? Sure. It's uh, jillkwrites.com. I'm trying to not make you spell my last name. And so, (laughs) yeah, there's book club questions. I'm dying to be a part of someone's book club. And I will, you know, I'm happy to Skype in or talk Harry Potter with you or come visit if you're in the Bay Area. Um, I would love to come visit your book club. And I already have book club questions for you. Oh, my God. That's such a good idea. We should, we, we listeners, my, my lovely hippie witch people, we should talk about doing our own book club for this and then we can use the hashtag i think that would be so much fun that sounds amazing yeah would, it, like look we could keep talking for like another hour easily easy. like i just looked at it i looked at my watch and i was like oh my god an hour has gone past so. okay so i'm gonna put the call out if we get eight people all we need is eight people i think we can get more but if eight of you listening want to do a book club this summer or maybe just for a month. It's it's not it's not a huge book. We could do it in a month. Email yeah, it, email me. Let's talk. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. It's a fast read, and the chapters are short. It's like not even two hundred pages, so it's it's a it's not going to be a rough read. It should be it should be easy breezy. It's super delightful. Okay, so I always end these things by asking 
the same question, and I would love your take on it. What is your one tip? It doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all tip, just whatever first comes to your mind, for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams. Hmm. I'm thinking. To me, part of it is to uh, make your own joy. And I know that sounds easier said than done. So for me, you know, I tend toward kind of, you know, blue days, I would never say I'm capital D depressed or anything like that. But I tend to be pretty introspective. And that can lead to feeling a little blue sometimes. And so I think the idea of creating creating joy where you can and I guess an easier way of doing that is to say be present and I know that's maybe a little woo but you know when I go for I've started going for walks without listening to music or a podcast and just enjoying being outside or if I drink a cup of tea like actually sit there and really enjoy the cup of tea instead of like also being on Twitter and also watching TV while I do it um so I think being present and enjoying the small moments of life because they go by so fast and it's easy to get caught up in the bigger stuff. So make your own joy by enjoying the small moments. I know that's a little, little cliche, but it's no. not. Woo. Hello. You're speaking my language. Um, <laughs> also joy is my word of the year. Love and it. I've been thinking a lot about courting joy and I talk a lot about how your point of power and creating your experience is in the now like being present to the now moment is how you do it. It's not like ruminating on the past or projecting yourself into the future in a way that gives you anxiety. If, if you feel anxious or if you feel regretful, like the solution is to come into the now and do exactly what you just said. Go on a walk, drink a cup of tea and just like be there with the experience of it. Yeah, I think, you know, life is made, we have a lot of big moments, but I think most of our life is in like small day to day stuff. So I think the challenge is to try and find joy in that small day to day stuff. Like don't wait for your vacation, which is great. I hope everyone gets to take a vacation. But I think most of our life is not, you know, most of our life is going to the post office or running an errand or, you know, vacuuming, we have to do all that stuff. So I think trying to find Joy in those in smallness is really important. Mm-hmm. It's like my friend Don says: it's the little things that make life a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for trusting a stranger with your time. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so fun, and you are really kind to have me on your podcast, and it has just been a treat. Yay! Goodbye, everybody. Let me know. Do not forget. Hit me up on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you can find me. Email me and let me know if you actually want to do this book club because I'm not joking. I'm dead serious about it. So let me know. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.